So it was three weeks ago that we began looking at Matthew chapter 6, and, or four weeks ago actually that we began looking at chapter 6, but three weeks ago that we began looking at the subject of prayer. And I'm not going to beat this into the ground, uh, hopefully, but I do want to remind us of this, that it was assumed by Christ as he spoke to his disciples that they would be people of prayer. And as I've said now for the last couple of messages, I want to repeat this because I think every one of us need the reminder more than we care to admit, but nothing has changed in the last 2,000 years. It is still expected of believers to be men and women of prayer where we get alone with God, where we spend time in prayer with Him. And yet it was two weeks ago where Christ was speaking in verse number 9, and He said, After this manner, therefore pray ye. And the implication was this, that as Christ gave the disciples a format or a template by which to pray, that it's possible that some people don't feel comfortable in the area of prayer. They don't quite know what they're supposed to do or what they're supposed to say. And so Christ, again, gave them a template. He gave them a format in which they could use. And he began by saying, Our Father, which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. And so two weeks ago, I tried to remind us of this, that because God is our Father, he wants us to feel the liberty to come to him about anything that would be on our hearts, anything that would be a burden to us, anything that would be a concern to us. God wants us to feel a liberty to come to him, but we have to do so recognizing that his name is hallowed, that he is a holy God, and that he is a sacred God, and he is a God who is to be reverenced and a God to be revered. Many times in today's culture, many times in today's society, the respect for the holiness of God is not what it should be, and so we've got to be mindful of that. And then last week it was in verse number 10 where Christ said to his disciples, pray that thy kingdom or God's kingdom would come. And so last week I, I was trying to be transparent and I was trying to be honest with you. I don't know if I conveyed everything the way that I desired to, but I said to you last week many times in my prayer life, I don't pray for this like I should because I'm so wrapped up in my own little world, I'm so wrapped up in my own activity, that I forget about the fact that God one day is going to establish His rule and His reign on this earth. And that's something that you and I should be looking forward to, that is something that you and I should be praying about. And so of all the things that we have prayed about in the last week, I hope you remember to pray for the kingdom of God to come. And uh, again, it can be difficult sometimes to remember to do such, but uh, it is something that needs to be done. Now tonight we're going to have a lengthy introduction, and we're going to have a short message. And so just bear with me as we work through this. But tonight I want us to think about something that uh, I've mentioned before. We all know this to be true, but that is this. As adults, every one of us have held some measure of authority over someone else. As an adult, every one of us have held some measure of authority over someone else. As a parent, every one of us have been privileged or we have been given the responsibility of, of leadership or authority over our children, correct? All right, so as a parent, I have the responsibility of leadership and authority over my three children right now as they live in the house some of you, by way of work and the position that you hold, the, the title that you have, I've said this before, you are in a position of authority and you have that responsibility over you to give, you, to give leadership and to give guidance there at the workforce. And in many different areas of life, we can be privileged or given the responsibility of leadership and authority in the life of an individual or several people. All right, so we understand that to be true. Now, as all of us have been given a measure of authority 
at different stages of our lives, maybe over different types of people at different stages of our lives, here is what we know, that sometimes people refuse to acknowledge or to submit to the authority that we've been given over them. Sometimes, understand, sometimes people refuse to acknowledge or submit to our authority that we have placed over them. Now, let's just throw this in real quick. Sometimes we have refused to submit or to acknowledge to authority in our lives, but we're not going to talk about ourselves right now. We'll talk about all the other people, okay? So sometimes in this position of authority that we've been given, there have been people who have refused to acknowledge or to submit to our authority. Sometimes a child decides, I don't want to do what dad or mom says. Sometimes a coworker says, I'm not going to do what the boss says. Sometimes a person here, whatever it may be, says, well, that's not what I'm going to do. I'm not going to recognize their authority, and I'm not going to submit to their authority. And so I want us to think about this for just a moment. Just, just stay with me here. When someone refuses to acknowledge or submit to authority, what is always the result? It's conflict. Conflict and strife always take place when a person refuses to submit to and recognize the authority of someone else in their lives. When a child is disobedient and when a child is rebellious, that does not create harmony in a home. It creates conflict in a home. When an employee does not recognize and submit to the authority in their life. It never brings a sense of calm and peace to a work environment. No, it always brings about a sense of conflict or a sense of strife. There is always tension involved when there are people who refuse to submit to the authority that is placed over them. That is how it works. You cannot have disobedience and peace and harmony at the same time. So tonight I want us to think about something, again, by way of a lengthy introduction. I want us to think about this. I want us to think about the realm of heaven. If you and I were, enter, if you and I were to enter into the realm of heaven tonight, who would be in charge and who would possess total authority? Well, obviously it would be the Lord, right? It would be God. I think we know this. But every inhabitant of heaven recognizes and submits themselves to God's authority in heaven. In heaven, every inhabitant, every individual, everyone recognizes God to be authority, and everyone recognizes Him to be the, the final say, and therefore, because they recognize it and submit to it, what do you have in heaven? Well, you have peace and you have harmony. You have what it's supposed to look like. All right? In heaven, you don't have the angels saying, well, I think that was a bad idea. In heaven, you don't have the angels saying, well, if I was God, I'd do it different. In heaven, you don't have the angels getting together and saying, well, that's ridiculous. That's not the way we're going to do it. We're going to do it our own way. No, that is not what heaven looks like. In the realm of heaven, in the portals of heaven, God is the absolute authority, and everyone in heaven recognizes that, and they submit themselves to it. And because of that, in heaven, there is peace and harmony and tranquility. It is what 
life is supposed to look like. There was only one occasion in which there was rebellion. We know that to be by Satan. And as a result of his rebellion, what happened? There was conflict in heaven. And because of the conflict, Satan and his angels who followed him were expelled from heaven. And one day they'll be cast into the lake of fire. So we understand what heaven looks like. Now that being said, let me ask us another question. When God created this earth, did He create a perfect world or a flawed world? Well, if we're a Bible believer, then we believe that He created a perfect world. Whenever God looked at His creation and said, It is good... It was not just good, it was perfect. It was without blemish, it was without flaw. There was nothing wrong with it whatsoever. And so not only were the animals perfect, not only were the trees perfect, not only were the landscapes perfect, but the creation of Adam and Eve, man and woman, they too were perfect. Adam and Eve recognized the authority of God in their lives. And Adam and Eve recognized, and and not just recognized the authority of God in their life, but they then submitted to the authority of God in their life. And everything was going great, and everything was going fantastic, until Satan showed up. Does this sound right? I mean, go back to the book of Genesis, and everything was going fine, everything was going good, until Satan showed up. And what did he do? He placed that thought, that little speck of doubt in the minds of Adam and Eve, yea, hath God said. And as they began to entertain that thought, as they began to entertain that question, as Eve first partook of the fruit, and then, of course, Adam following after that, as they did that, what did they do for just a split moment? Here is what Adam and Eve did. They no longer recognized God as the final authority in their lives. Whenever Adam and Eve decided to partake of the fruit, for just a moment, here is what they did, whether they realized they were doing it or not. They said this, I will do what I want to do and give no regard to what God has told us to do. Is this what they did? Again, I don't think they intended it to look this way. I don't think they intended it to sound this way. I don't think they, they meant to open up the, the box that they opened up. But, but whenever Adam and Eve partook of the fruit for just that one moment in time, here is what they did. They rebelled against the authority of God in their lives. And sin entered into the world. And as we know... As sin entered into the world and upon mankind, uh, we have kind of a mess here, don't we? And, and if you think about it, again, you know this to be true, but if you think about it, the primary sin that plagues every individual is that of selfishness. Selfishness is when a person decides, I will do what I want to do rather than what God tells me to do. I will do what I want to do, and I really at this moment don't care what God's Word would tell me to do. And so we understand that right now we live in a society and we live in a day and a culture where people do not want to recognize the authority of God in their life, and because they don't want to recognize the authority of God in their life, they don't want to submit to the authority of God in their life. 
And we see this manifest in many, many different ways. Think about this. Many homes right now are dealing with the frustrations of rebellious children. I don't know how many people you talk to. I don't know how many situations you're aware of. But, I mean, we live in a very frustrated world, and I'll say more about this in just a moment. But we live in a very frustrated world amongst many families. Why? Because many parents are dealing with disobedient, rebellious teenagers. And why is there conflict? Why is there this strife? Where, why is there this tension and, 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 and all of this that's taking place in the families? Why is this present? Because the children are saying, I will not submit to the authority of God in my life, which says to submit to the parents' authority in my life. So you talk to people, and they're raising children. You talk to people, and they're raising teenagers. And what do they have? They have this sense of frustration because the children will not submit themselves to authority, whether it be God's authority or, more visibly, man's authority in the life of their parents. But all of that stems from the idea of the child saying, I will do what I want to do, and that being selfishness. We have the frustration of marriages that are constantly falling apart. Whether they realize it or not, marriages are falling apart. Whether we realize it or not, all around us marriages are falling apart. I mean, you've got a husband and a wife who are completely frustrated with one another. You have a, a husband and a wife where it's constant tension, where it's constant strife, where, where when the only time they communicate is when they're yelling and arguing about something. Now, that is not the way God designed a marriage to be. That is not what God said, this is what I want a marriage to look at. But why are so many marriages frustrated? And why is there so much strife and contention in the marriages around us today, and many times, I should say, even in churches, because of selfishness. I will do what I want to do. I don't care what God has to say. I don't, want, I don't care what God's Word speaks about this particular subject as it relates to our marriage. I will not do what God's Word says. I will do what I want to do. Does this make sense? Why are so many lives being destroyed by drugs and alcohol and so many other vices in this, in this society and in our community? Why is that happening? Because I will do what I want to do and I will not submit to God's word in this area of my life. So I don't care what the Word of God says about drugs. I don't care what the Word of God says about alcohol. I don't care what the Word of God says about gambling. I don't care what the Word of God says about these things. You say, well, the Word of God doesn't address that specifically. Well, maybe not specifically, but certainly by way of principle. And there are many people who know what the Word of God says, but they are not going to submit themselves to it. Why? Because they don't want to recognize God's authority in their lives. And again, conflict always ensues as a result of disobedience to God's Word. And so you find these people, and they're addicted to drugs, they're addicted to alcohol, they're addicted to so many things that are destroying their lives and ruining their lives. Why is that? It's because they have determined, I will make this world about myself, and I will not do what the Word of God says.
Think about the chaos that we see in our nation over and over and over again. Why do we have to be governed by the police? Why do we have to be governed by a government? Because people as a whole these days would not govern themselves. There is required among our people as a whole in our nation today some kind of force upon us that says you will act right or there will be a consequence to it. But the reason that we're in a position like this is because Americans, and I know this would be true in other nations as well, but for America, here is what many people have said, we will not submit ourselves to the authority of God in our life, and as a result of that, we see all sorts of chaos, all sorts of conflict, and all sorts of strife in our lives. See, it is impossible for anyone to be rebellious to God's authority in their life and there not be conflict. So it doesn't matter if we're talking about a national scale. It doesn't matter if we're talking about a city. It doesn't matter if we're talking about a town. It doesn't matter if we're talking about a church. And it doesn't matter if we're talking about a single family. And it doesn't matter if we're talking about a single person. It does not matter when a person chooses to live according to the desires of self and not the desires of God. It will always lead to strife and to conflict and to a lack of peace and to a lack of harmony. Now, why do I say all that? Well, because obviously this is nothing new. From the moment Adam and Eve sinned, and we know that sin entered into the world, we know that Cain killed Abel because of jealousy, correct? We know that from the very beginning there's been now, because of the sin of Adam and Eve, immorality, there's been uh, unjust, there's been violence, there's been all sorts of things that have been around forever and ever. And so here's what I'd like us to see this, morning, this evening, and that is this. If you and I were to go to the realms of heaven, we would see that God is in ultimate authority and everyone in heaven recognizes his authority and submits to it. That is the picture of what it's supposed to look like. And earth is the exact opposite of what it should look like. We are in complete contrast of what it should look like by way of submission to God's will for our lives. And it's been that way forever. How do we know? Because in chapter 6, verse number 10, here's what Christ said. Thy kingdom come. We know that because we looked at that last week. But now notice what Christ said to his disciples by way of format. He said, pray this, thy will be done in earth as it is, as it is in heaven. Thy will be done in earth as it is in heaven. Now again, think about this. The will is speaking of the desire or the wants. So in heaven, here is what Christ reminds the disciples of, that in heaven there is a will that is exercised by God. And whenever God exercises his will in heaven, what do people do? Or what do the angels do? They respond in immediate obedience to that will. Again, you don't have the angels up there saying, well, I don't know. 
you know, we were thinking about this, and we think we've come up with a better idea. We think we've come up with a better plan. We, we think we know better than what you know as it relates to this situation. No, whenever God exercises his will in heaven, it is done, and it is done immediately, and it is done exactly as it is supposed to be done. And so he says to the disciples, when you pray, pray after this manner, that the will of God would be done in earth as it is in heaven. So what does it mean then? It means this, that though we live on this earth, guess what? God still has a will and God still has a desire and God still has the authority of this world, whether a person recognizes it or not, God still exercises his will or his desire and he makes his desire or his will known in a person's life. So I could say it like this, God has a will for my life. God has a desire for my life. He has a desire and a will for my marriage. He has a will and a desire for my family. He has a will and a desire for this church. He has a will and a desire for everyone in this room and everyone in this nation and everyone in this room. And he says, disciples, it should be your prayer that just as it is in heaven, when God makes his desires known, that those respond in immediate obedience to his will. It should be your prayer that when his will is made known on this earth, that people would immediately execute it in obedience, recognizing God is authority. It should be our prayer that people would respond in obedience to God's will for their lives. I'll say it like this tonight, and I, I hope you understand what I'm saying whenever I say this, but you and I should have a burden for people to live in obedience to God's Word and God's will for their lives. Why? Because if they don't, it produces conflict in their life, which has a ripple effect, which causes conflict in every other area of life that they are able to touch and have influence on. See, as I'm having my prayer time, and I go to God and I say, God, this is what's on my heart, and God, this is what's on my mind. As I go to Him with the right spirit and the right attitude and a sense of reverence about myself in relation to Him, there, there needs to be a burden on my part that the inhabitants of this earth would recognize God as the authority of their life and not just recognize it, but submit themselves to it. Why? So that there is that lack of conflict and so that there is a presence of peace and harmony and tranquility which comes in obedience to God's will. Raising three kids, what do I need to have a burden for? I need to have a burden for their obedience to God's will for their lives. As I'm looking at Nathan, 17, soon leaving the home, and, and, and I, I say soon, within the next few years, he's got less years at home than he has. He has less before him than he has behind him, I hope. <laughs> if he is 34 and still in the house, we've got some serious issues, okay? But as I look at this, I, I say, God, help Nathan. To live in obedience to your will for his life. 
God, whatever that may be, should it be ministry, should it be, should it be secular work while he invests in the ministry wherever you would plant him and place him. God, whatever it would be, help him to be obedient to your will. That should be my burden. It should be my burden that Hannah and Leah, that as they grow and as they develop and as they become young ladies and young adults, it should be my burden and my prayer for them that, God, they would do your will on this earth just as your will is done in heaven. Whenever I think about my family, my extended family, whenever I think about my friends, what does my prayer need to be? God, would you help them to recognize and submit to your authority? Why? Because it only makes their life better. It only makes their life more peaceful. And Whether you agree with this or not, I should have a burden for every one of you as a part of this church. I should have a burden for your measure of obedience to God's will for your life. There should be this desire that whenever I go to God in prayer that I would say, God, would you please help brother so-and-so or sister so-and-so? Or God, would you help this family? Why? Because there is conflict in their life. And there is a reason there is conflict. It is because of their selfishness where they will not submit to God's word and God's will. Christ said to the disciples, After this manner, therefore pray ye, pray that there would be obedience to God's will on this earth, just as there would be in heaven. There's something wrong with a Christian who, does, who has no burden for the disobedient around them. There is something wrong with the Christian who has no burden for the rebellious toward God's authority in their life around them. And, and I don't know if you would say this has ever been true in your life, but, but I think there are a couple of things that sometimes keep us from praying the way that we should, praying that God's will would be done in earth as it is in heaven. I, I think there are a couple of things that sometimes sidetrack us from that, just as there are things that sidetrack us from praying that his kingdom would come. I think sometimes we're sidetracked by this. We've become hardened and calloused to the sin around us, therefore we no longer recognize it like we once did. I don't know about you, but I've certainly had seasons in my life where I was calloused and hardened to sin. And because of that, I was not as mindful of other people's sins as I should have been. And see, when I'm not as mindful of a person's sin as I should be, whenever I'm hardened and I'm calloused to it, you know what I, I lose? I, I lose that burden to pray for their obedience. Because see, if I'm not worried about obedience for myself, why would I be burdened for someone else's obedience? If I've become callous to sin, say, in my life, then, then how would I have any sensitivity towards sin in another person's life? So I think sometimes it stands in the way of our prayer life as it relates to praying for His will to be done on earth as it is in heaven. But I think this also stands in our way sometimes, and that is this, discouragement. Because every one of us has seen the conflict that is produced in a person's life because of their disobedience. 
Have we not? You see this individual and their life is chaos. Why? Because of their disobedience. You see this marriage and it's a constant state of conflict and, and chaos and strife. Why? Because of disobedience. You see this, this situation and, and, and you see it and you know it's happening. And so what do you do? You have a burden for it and you begin to pray for it. And you pray for it. And you pray for it. But it's as though nothing happens. It's as though nothing changes. Have you ever gotten to the point where you're just discouraged? And you finally thought to yourself, why am I even praying about this anymore? If they don't care, why should I care? If they don't have a burden for their family, why should I have a burden for their family? If they don't have a burden for their marriage, why should I have a burden for their marriage? If they don't have a burden for their spiritual progress, why should I have a burden for their spiritual progress? Listen, I don't know if it's happened to you, but I know for myself, I have allowed discouragement to keep me from praying the way that I should about the sin that is present in a person's life because of their own selfishness. I think if you were honest, you'd have to admit, for whatever reason, sometimes you have lost the burden for family members that you ought to have for them. Sometimes you have lost the burden for the co-worker that you know you ought to have for them. Sometimes you have lost the burden for a fellow church member that you know you ought to have for them. Sometimes we lose the burden for our nation that we know we ought to have for our nation. Sometimes we get so frustrated, discouraged by it, just so upset by it, we think, why even do it? Why do we pray that His will would be done in earth as it is in heaven? Why do we do it? Because God or Christ said to do it. We don't stop praying just because we're discouraged. We don't stop praying just because we're frustrated. We don't stop praying because they seemingly don't care. No, we pray and we seek this and we desire this because we want people to have a right relationship with the Lord. Can you imagine for a moment what it would look like if God's will was done on earth as it is in heaven? Can you imagine what it would begin to do in families? Can you, begin what, can you imagine what it would begin to do in churches? Can you imagine what it would begin to do in towns and cities and in a nation? Can you imagine what it would look like if in the morning everybody woke up and said, today it's not about my will, it's about God's will? Well, we'd live in a different world overnight. You and I should have a burden you and I should have a desire to see people live in obedience to God's will for their life because they recognize Him as authority and because they submit to Him as their authority because without that submission, there is conflict and there is chaos that is always the result of disobedience and rebellion. Now that being said... I'd like us to pause just one moment and think about this. How dare we pray that for someone else if that is not a consistent prayer for ourselves? Now, I don't know if you've ever been guilty of this, but sometimes I've been guilty of this. Knowing what everyone else needed to work on, 
but failing to see what I need to work on. If you were to ask me today what Susie needs to work on, well, we're doing good right now, so there's not much she needs to work on. However, if there's a little bit of conflict in the marriage, whatever you know, the, the strife may be, if you were to say, now, what's the problem here, Kyle? More times than not, my tendency would be to say, well, you know, if she would. Yeah. Well, what about me? If you were to come to me and say, well, what's the source of the conflict between you and your kids? What's the problem with the kids? Well, right now there is no conflict. There, there is no chaos. Right now things are good. But if you were to come to me and say the times where maybe there's an issue and we're working through something, if you were to say, now what's the problem? Well, I would always say, well, it's the children. Because that is the nature of Adam that rises up in us, is it not? Adam said to the Lord, it's the woman that you gave me. And the woman said, it's the serpent. And that is our nature to try to push it off on someone else. But, but follow this, please. Sometimes the conflict that is present in our lives is not because of someone else's refusal to submit to God's authority in their life. Sometimes it's because of our own refusal to submit to the authority of God in our lives. Sometimes I'm not as spirit-led as I'm supposed to be. Sometimes I'm not as holy as I'm supposed to be. Sometimes my attitude and my outlook and my thoughts are not what they're supposed to be. Sometimes I, I get into a rut and I'm, and, and I'm not the man that I'm supposed to be. And what I've got to remember is this. Sometimes the conflict is not always someone else's fault. And so therefore, I don't need to just have a burden for your obedience. I don't need to have a burden for my family's obedience. obedience. I don't need to have a burden for the obedience of our nation. But what I've got to make sure is this, is that I've got a burden burden for my own personal obedience to God's will for my life. Just because I'm the pastor doesn't mean that God doesn't have a will for me that I'm supposed to follow that I just naturally always want to follow. So there are moments in my life where as a pastor I'm supposed to still conform to his will and not my will. And just because I'm the husband there are going to be times that God says do this and that's not what I want to do. Okay, then I still have to conform my will to his will and not my will to my will. I must have a burden for my own personal obedience to God's will for my life, listen, and not on my timetable, but on God's timetable. See, obedience is only obedience when it's done immediately. And there are times that God says, Kyle, do this. That's not what I wanted to do. Well, why am I struggling? Because my burden for obedience is not what it's supposed to be. And it's easy sometimes for me to rationalize, I'll get to it. Well, that's not what he said was try to get to it. He said, no, do it. And so what do I need? I need a burden for myself. God, I, I know that I've got a wife, and I know that I've got children, and I know that I've got family and friends and a church family. And, and I know that we need to live in obedience to your will in all those areas. But God, I need help. Right now, today, I need help living in obedience to your will for my life. And I've said this in previous messages, and I want to say it again. First of all, you and I know if we begin to pray in the manner in which we ought. 
You know if in the last seven days, if you've taken the time out of your schedule to get alone with God and to spend that time in prayer. You know if you've done that in the last week. And I promise you there have been those in this church who have done it, and there have been those in this church who have not done it. But as we pray, we know what kind of a burden we have for ourselves. Because it is so easy, if we're honest, to just to, it, it is so easy for us to have a burden for everyone and everything else. And then at best, the Lord may get some token recognition from us, and God, help me to be obedient to you today, and then you go right on with whatever it is you're praying about. I must have a burden for God's will to be done on this earth as it is in heaven. I need to have a burden for everyone I know, and many times even people I don't know, to live in obedience to God's will. Why? Because that's where peace and tranquility comes. But before I can really focus on anyone else's obedience, I need to focus on my obedience. God, do I have a burden to execute your will because I recognize you as the authority in my life, and today I submit to that authority whatever the authority may take, tell me to do, wherever your authority may take me. Is that the burden we have? If not, we're not praying correctly, and if we're not praying correctly, we're most likely not living correctly. Something to give consideration to. Let's all stand tonight and bow our heads for a word of prayer. Father, I do pray that you would be with us this evening, that you'd help every one of us tonight.